Well, I know you don't know me, and I don't know you guys, so I'll share a little bit about me, and then I'll get right into the message. And, you know, there's not even, I can't read that clock, by the way, so, you know, <laughs> so if I go really long, I'll try not to be too long, but uh, I'll try anyway. But uh, if, you'll, if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6 is actually where we're going to be. I'll just share some of my testimony, then I'll read this passage. Uh, you know, I always like to share my testimony because I want to encourage, what I want to do is I want to be an encouragement to you, and you've already been an encouragement to me. Uh, one of the things I've been asking God is, Lord, as we go from church to church, Lord, just really stir our hearts, encourage us as we go back. Because, you know, sometimes when you're on the mission field for a long time, and we work with a lot, we work with a very small group of people. And uh, as far as we don't have a lot of numbers, you know, I, I go to churches and I, this is actually one of the biggest churches I've been in recently in the West. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you that God has given you something very special here. And, you know, around the world, can I just tell you, there's a lot of believers that wish they had a place like this to go to. I mean, you know, in the area we work in, literally there can be a believer over here 45 minutes and another one over here 45 minutes. And, and the thing that they experience the greatest is just discouragement because they feel so isolated. Like, is there anyone else that believes like we do? And so, you know, coming back here as a missionary, it's been encouraging to go from church to church and see what God is doing because, you know, I, I want to be able to see what God is doing and not get so, sometimes we get focused in the, we have the old saying go, and I'm probably not going to say it right, but we, we don't see, we, all we see is, the, we, we don't see the forest for the trees, right? Did I say that right? But uh, I think I said that right. But sometimes we get so, we get kind of tunnel vision, and we don't see what God is doing across this world. And so this is encouraging, and I want to encourage you tonight uh, as I share with you some things. And one of the things I'm going to share with you is this. The greatest witness you have is your testimony, is your testimony. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know how to share the gospel. Listen, the, the greatest tool you have is what Jesus did for you. And, you know, when I go overseas, you know, I, I can talk a lot of, about the Bible, but, you know, a lot of people in Europe, they're not, they don't even really want to listen to the Bible. But they will listen to you talk about what God has done for you. And it can open doors into their heart and be able to give an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, guess what? I don't think it's really changing. As a matter of fact, I think as the world gets darker here, people are looking for hope. They are looking for something real, okay, and they're desperate for it, and we have it if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, and we need to share what God has done for us, and uh, that's the best way we can do it. Well, I always, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Christian home, and, you know, a lot of times we that grew up that way, we feel like, oh, we don't have a really good testimony, but I, I think we're wrong, okay, because you got to understand that Jesus Christ still had to die for us. We were still sinners on our way to hell, and we needed a Savior just as much as anyone else did. And if you stop and think about how personal our God is, okay, can you realize that He's seeking each and every one of us personally? Personally. And so it's special. I mean, He died on the cross for us personally. It's not, you know, He was willing to sacrifice everything for each one of us individually. And so we need to remember that. And I always start with my parents. And no, I'm not saved because of my parents, okay? But this is what I want you to understand is how God reached you. 
You think about what God did to reach you, and I, I pray that this will encourage you. As a, you know, my parents, they grew up religious, okay? So they grew up, my dad is from uh, outside of Boston. My mom was from way up in upper New Hampshire. She was a dairy farmer's daughter, and uh, they grew up in what we would call the Puritan church, okay? Today it's called other things, but it was a Puritan church. My family roots go all the way back to the Mayflower, okay? Uh, some of my relatives came across they were the first settlers. And um, my parents knew a lot about the Bible. They knew how to be religious, and they knew how to be good and all those other things, and they were good people. But you know what? They didn't know the Savior of the Bible. And they got married, and uh, they moved, my parents moved to upstate New York to a little town called Chatham, New York. And uh, it was there that my dad was working at a research farm, and he, he was... Uh, he was starting to have some problems. Him and my mom were having some problems in their marriage, which happens a lot of times with young couples. And uh, his dad, who was an old American Baptist, had given my dad a Bible when he was a teenager. And he said, son, read this book and live your life by this book. And so as a young man, a young married man, as he was having some problems, he started reading his Bible. Well, his co-worker was a backslidden Baptist. And, uh, you know, he wasn't in church, he wasn't serving God, but even backslidden Baptists can be a witness for the Lord, okay? And uh, they, uh, as, as my dad was there and he found out this man knew quite a bit about the Bible and he started asking that man questions and as a result of that and reading his Bible, that's how he came to know Christ as his personal Savior. And my parent, my mom, accepted the Lord a couple weeks later. Well, you know, when they got saved, they didn't just sit around and do nothing, okay? They were excited about what God had done for them. They started telling everybody, and they got together with a couple families, and they started a Bible study because there wasn't any Bible preaching church in the area. And about a year later or so, a church planning missionary came, and they began to meet as a church, and eventually there was a church established in the town of Ghent, New York, which is just to the south of where they were living. And that church is still there today preaching the Word of God. And I say all that because I was born into that brand new Christian home. I was born into a brand new Bible preaching church. And you know, I heard, I heard all about the Bible, and I learned the songs, and I, I went to Sunday school, and I went to VBS, and I did all those things. But it was as a young child that I realized that that wasn't good enough. And you know, that's one of the things we need to understand. And the people we work with in Europe, Listen, they're religious. Can I tell you, religion is increasing today in this world. And I know everybody's thinking, oh, no, it isn't. No, everybody's forsaking. No, that's not true. The truth is people are more religious today than they were probably when I was a child. Listen, they've got every religion under the sun. Listen, atheism is a religion. And if you don't believe it is, you need to check it out. It's a religion, okay? It's a religion. It's an anti-God religion, but it is a religion, and that people are religious, they're looking for something, they're out there dabbling in spiritualism and all this stuff, and we see it all over Europe. I mean, the stuff is going up all over Europe, standing stones and all this thing, and get in touch with your inner self. If you don't believe that's religion, you need to look at it really close. It's religion. People are superstitious and religion, religious. And uh, you might, you know, I realized that religion wasn't going to get me to heaven. You know, not even independent Baptist religion, okay? It wasn't going to get me to heaven. I realized I was a sinner and I was in need of a Savior. And I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I bowed my knee and asked Christ into my heart behind my bedroom door at 77 Church Street. 
And I'm not making that up. That's exactly where I, that's exactly where I accepted the Lord. We'll be back there in a few months, and I'll take my children by that house. It's not in the family anymore, but I want them to see what God did for their father. And, and so as a young person, I, after I after I had accepted the Lord later on, I had the opportunity to go to a Christian school. My church, the church there, established a small Christian school. And uh, eventually we moved back to New Hampshire. I graduated from a, a Christian school there. And when I graduated, all my teachers wanted me, they wanted me to be a science teacher. They wanted me to go to Bob Jones University, get a degree in science, and come back and teach in the Christian school. Well, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have any desire to do that. I mean, God hadn't laid that on my heart. And uh, the, the, bottom, the bottom line is the only thing that I really desired to do, and I wasn't trying to run from God. I know you're going to think I was, okay? But listen, I wasn't trying to run from God. Was I, I really had a desire to be a United States Marine, okay? Now, you may think, how can a Christian be a Marine, okay? But I was, I was a person who believed that our country had given us liberty and the freedom to worship, and I thought it was still worth serving our country. And so I joined the United States Marine Corps. You say, were you running from God? No, okay? When I got into the Marine Corps, my first duty station, the first thing I did was try to find a church. Now, it was difficult because I was from New England and everything was a Baptist church in New England, pretty much was independent Baptist. I went to the south down in, outside of Memphis and there was every kind of Baptist under the sun and I didn't know what in the world they were, okay? <laughs> I never heard of all these different kind of Baptists. But anyway, <laughs> God took me through that. He gave me a good church and God allowed me to serve in many churches throughout my time in the military and it was there later on in Hawaii I, had, I was coming up to 10 years, and I had to re-enlist. And God had been working on my heart for quite some time. And I see this, this church has got a lot of children. And listen, my, I'm excited about that. Listen, that's the lifeblood of the church. they got a lot of young people. And, you know, that's exciting because those are the people, they're going to be the next leaders, the next generation. You know, as I grew up in church, one of the things I saw is I saw a lot of people make commitments to go and serve God. And you know what I also saw? I saw a lot of people that never did what they committed to do. And in my heart, I always told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm never going to make a public commitment until I know that it is you that has called me. Not, you know, my emotions, not because, you know, there was a good message, but I want to know it's you that calls me. Now listen, the biggest thing that I did as I was in the Marine Corps was make a decision to follow Christ and wherever he laid, led me, I was willing to go. And I really encourage people, listen, you may not know what God wants you to do, but can, you can make a commitment that I'm going to follow God and I'm going to trust him all the way. Um, you know, when I was in Hawaii, I was there, that was my last duty station, last three years, so you can be jealous and, and think bad things about me, okay, but I enjoyed myself in Hawaii. I was a member of the Kolau Baptist Church there in Kaneohe, Hawaii. I don't know, some of you may have been there, and uh, pa Pastor Bowling was a pastor at the time, and it was on a Saturday night, a Saturday night, just before I had to tell him whether I was going to re-enlist, re-enlist, re I was reading in my personal devotions through Isaiah that night. And it was in chapter 6 that God called me to the mission field. And I'd like, you to, I'd like to read this to you really quickly. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. 
With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the people that are gathered here. Lord, Lord, the music and everything that has already taken place, the encouragement that I've had already tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just use your word, Lord, that you would encourage uh, the folks that are here, Lord, to go forward for you and trust you another day, another mile, another step, Lord. Lord, that they would trust you, that you to, to give you their lives, that you would use them any way that you would want them to be used. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. And I, Lord, I thank you that you're patient and that you're long-suffering. And Lord, that you're willing, you're not willing to just destroy us when we, when we fail, Lord, but you're willing to just help us to grow closer to you each and every day if we'll follow you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, you may think, well, that's a pretty common passage of Scripture. And it is. It's a passage of Scripture that I'd heard many, many, many times. Matter of fact, I'd probably heard more missionaries preach out of that passage than just about any others. And maybe you've heard that too. But you know, that night as I read that passage, it wasn't just the same old passage. And that's the incredible thing about God's Word. It is the living Word of God. And you have a Holy Spirit that lives within you. He lives within you. And He will open your understanding. He will speak to you through, his, through the Word of God. And you know, He will guide you. And that night as I was reading that passage, you know, it wasn't Isaiah anymore. It was Daniel Norton that saw God high and lifted up. And I'm just going to be brief, but can I tell you, before you're ever going to serve God, you're going to have to see God high and lifted up. If you understand what was taking place, King Uzziah had just died. He was one of the good kings. The country was going through turmoil. Isaiah didn't know what was going to happen next. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of doubt. But yet that night, that day, as he saw that vision, he saw God high and lifted up. And he saw him as who God really is. And I think it's important that we understand who God is. Listen, he does love us. But if you're going to understand the love of God, you need to understand the holiness, the righteousness, and justice of God. It is a fearful thing to come into the presence of a holy God. And listen, we have a world that wants to bring God down to man. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. God is high and lifted up above mankind, so high up that we cannot even begin to think that we could even approach God. You know, the, the famous hymn writer said, for such a worm as I. And that's really how we are in comparison to God. We're nothing more than dust. He created us out of the dust of this earth. And that's where we are. We have no ability to reach God on our own, but yet God 
reach down to us. That's the love of God. And so as you see God high and lifted up and see Him as holy, but then you see also Isaiah not only saw God for who He really was, we see that Isaiah saw himself for who He really was. He saw himself, it wasn't just everybody else, he saw himself as a sinner. He saw himself as undone. He saw himself as a man of unclean lips. And listen, Isaiah was a man who was trying to serve God, yet he saw himself as unworthy before God. And you know, if you look at all the Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints, you see that again and again and again. I mean, these are people that we think of as being I mean, they are. God used them to write the Word of God. He used them in the Word of God, and yet they saw themselves as unworthy before God. And how can we, how can we even begin to think that we can stand before a holy God? And Isaiah saw himself for who he really was, but yet we also see that God, in His infinite mercy, you know, He took that coal from off the altar. You think about that coal what that coal was. It came from off the altar of sacrifice. Do you know what they did at that altar? That was where the lamb was slain. That's where the blood was shed. And God took, he sent a seraphim with that hot coal and put it upon his lips and he purified him. Listen, it's a picture of what Christ will do for each one of us. He did it at salvation, but you know what? He's also ready to forgive and let us go forward and serve him. And you notice Isaiah, God never asked Isaiah to serve until he had a, what? A purified life. And you know, you say, well, how am I going to serve God? Well, you got to start with getting right with God. Listen, God is not going to use an unclean vessel. God needs a pure vessel to go forward and serve Him. But you know, I'm coming all the way down through here very quickly because this is really where I want to t- share with you tonight. In the verse 8, this is the famous verse that we use often. It says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Now, I want you to think about what's being said here really quickly. God said, who will go for us? Do you know what? God's still asking the same question. But I want you to notice one thing God didn't say. God didn't tell him what he was going to do. Have you ever stopped and think about that? He never told Isaiah what he was going to send him to do. He just said, I need someone to go for us. You know what Isaiah did? Isaiah gave him an answer of faith. He said, Lord, here am I, send me. This is the problem that we have so often in our lives. And I grew up in church, so I know what I'm talking about. We want to know what God is going to do with us before we say, here am I, Lord, send me. And that's not how God works. That's not how God works. God wants us to say, here am I, Lord, whatever you want me to do, send me. Now I want you to look at what God tells Isaiah his job is. In verse 9, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, 
and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Hey, listen, that doesn't sound like a very, a very good mission. It doesn't sound like that's going to bring a lot of fame to Isaiah, is it? It doesn't sound like he's going to be very popular. It doesn't sound like he's going to be a success in the eyes of man. And you can tell that by, if you continue on in verse 11, listen to Isaiah's question. Then said I, Lord, how long? Listen to what God says. And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Isaiah says, God, how long do I have to do this? And God says, until everyone is gone, till the cities are destroyed. Understand, he's talking about Isaiah's people. And he's saying, go and preach. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen. They're not going to be converted. And go and preach until they're all gone. Now, I'm not telling you that God is going to call all of us to that kind of ministry. But what my emphasis tonight is this. Are you willing to answer God by faith? Not God, I'll go if I can do this. God, I'll go if you'll tell me what is tomorrow. But we would simply say, God, I'll go and I'll trust you for tomorrow. Now I want to say one more thing before I continue on. In verse 13, I want you to understand that I don't want to leave you discouraged because I want you to see what God says. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree, as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Can I tell you what God told Isaiah at the end? said, Isaiah, your labor will not be in vain. But can you understand that Isaiah never saw that? Isaiah never saw that. Matter of fact, Isaiah didn't even see the end when they were all destroyed. Jeremiah carried on and saw that. He didn't see him come back to after the captivity. He didn't see what God had done but he had to trust God by faith and go forward. When I surrendered in Kaneohe, Hawaii that night through this passage, you know, I set out on a journey. I went to my lieutenant colonel. He was my CO. I was an avionics man. I worked on those helicopters you saw on there. I, sur I went to my pastor on Sunday and told him I'd surrendered. He said, oh, you better get started preaching. He sent me up to the Hukilau Baptist Church. It was a little military ministry outside of Schofield Barracks. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I got up there, and I preached. And my message lasted all about five minutes. And you'll wish that my message lasted that long, okay? <laughs> I got done, and I said, that's all, folks. And they looked at me. I looked at them. They gave me a love offering. I was so embarrassed I never cashed the check, okay? <laughs> well, that was my first experience. But you know what? That's, you know, my pastor knew. He was just saying, you know, take that step of faith. Take that step of faith. 
God called me to the mission field. You know what happened after that? I, I, I started, I went to my lieutenant colonel. I said, sir, I'm not going to be re-enlisting. God's called me to the mission field. He said, he said Staff Sergeant Norton, if, if God has called you to the mission field, then you need to go. We're going to miss you, and we want you to stay, but you need to go. Now, I, don't, I didn't know him that well. He had just gotten in the squadron. Really didn't know much about him, but I, God used him to encourage me. And um, after, so as I got started, you know, I, I had the Christian checklist. And I was sure I knew exactly how God was going to use me. Because, you know, we all do. We grow up in church. We know we've got to go to Bible college, so I enrolled in Bible college. I had a year left in the Marine Corps. I, couldn't, I tried to get an early out, couldn't get out. Three months later, I was sicker than a dog. I ended up losing all kinds of weight. I ended up being medically put on a medical board. And uh, everything that I tried to do, it just seemed like fell apart. You know why? Because I was trying to do it in my power and my way. And that's not how what God wants. What Isaiah had to just simply say, here am I, Lord, send me and do whatever you want with me. Yes. And, you know, I had to learn a hard lesson. And, you know, I kept on trying to go to Bible college, and every time I tried to go, I, I couldn't go. And uh, I ended up staying in the Marine Corps longer than I planned on. My EAS was in November. I wasn't discharged till the end of March of 1998. And... Uh, during that whole time, I was struggling. I wanted off that medical board. I was kicking and screaming. I got to get out of here. I got to go serve God. But I was trying to serve God in my own power. And listen, Isaiah, what God told Isaiah, he said, just sit, put up your hand and say, here am I, send me. Amen. You know, I, I had all my ideas from church, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to Bible college. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But listen. God wants us to surrender to whatever he wants us to do. Well, you know, I went back. To, I finally, after I had, I had a, an old Marine warrant officer, Sammy Popwell. He was a missionary. He was a military ministry missionary down in Puerto Rico at the time. He came out, and my pastor said, you need to go talk to him. And he gave me some good advice. He said, Daniel, you just wait on God. Just wait on God. And so I waited on God. I, got, I, I was discharged. I didn't know what to do, so I stayed in Hawaii for the next three months. Helped my church, you know, worked, worked hard there at the church. Had job opportunities, but nothing was coming about, so I was just waiting. And then about three months into it, God, God said, okay, Daniel, now you can go back. You know what? I go back to the mainland. I get back to, back to I actually went to Chattanooga. That's where my brother-in-law and sister were at the time. I was going to go to Crown Bible College, and, uh, you know, as I was trying to go there, I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a place to live. I had two weeks left before I was supposed to start classes. That last night, I drove, you know, because what I had done is what? I got back to the mainland. I'm like, okay, God, I'm taking over again. I'm going to do it my way now. I, I know this is what you want. Well, I couldn't find anything. I drove back on a, that last Friday night before classes were supposed to start. I'd put a deposit down on a drug house. I'm serious, a drug house in Fountain City, Knoxville. Okay, it was in the drug-ridden neighborhood because it's $25 security deposit because it was all I could afford. And I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to live here. Well, I was driving back that night, and God said no. And I didn't know what he was doing, but I got back to my brother-in-law and sister. My brother-in-law was an Army officer. He came, as soon as I got in the house, he said, Daniel, I just got orders unaccompanied to Saudi Arabia. Would you stay with Faith and the children? That was my older sister's name. And God just, he already had it all ordered. Listen, if I just waited on him, he already had it all ordered. Well, 
I ended up going to Tennessee Temple, and I, you know, it doesn't even exist anymore, okay? But I went there. I wasn't sure what to do. I was discouraged. Everything I tried to do to be a missionary had fallen through. I didn't want to go to Tennessee Temple, but that's, that was the, that was, my brother-in-law was like, well, Daniel, why don't you at least consider going down there? So I got, I went down there, and I enrolled. Well, you know what I enrolled as? A science teacher. That's right. I have a science. I have a degree as a science teacher. Okay, as math and science. Later on, I enrolled as a as a uh, math teacher. Well, I like math and science, so I was excited. Uh, you know, I wasn't excited, but I just didn't know what else to do. I said, maybe I've just missed it. So I'll just work on this. And and it seemed like you know everything was going ahead. I had a great church. Was busy serving the Lord. I wasn't married. I was single. I was working busy just doing what God had in front of me. It was about a year into that. I wanted to be done. You can tell I'm almost in a hurry, right? I wanted to be done. And uh, I'd done about 60 hours in my first year. I was just hitting the books hard and working at the church. I didn't have, I had enough uh, income from my retirement that I could handle that. I didn't have much of retirement, but I could afford a $100 room. And so... You know, I could, I could work and labor. That fall, I was at the church. We had just started a Christian school, and I was helping out there. I was doing differential equations, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm one of those crazy people. I was doing them on the chalkboard at the church. Late one night, and I was reading my Bible, my personal devotions was Esther chapter 4. It was actually the whole book of Esther, but I came to Esther chapter 4, and I came to verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, I stepped out and I answered by faith. But then I tried to do it in my own strength. And God had to teach me, it's not going to be your way, Daniel. It's going to be my way. But then God also showed me something in Esther 4.14. He hadn't changed his mind. He still wanted me. He called me to be a missionary, and God still wanted me to be a missionary. But in his way, and and the thing I learned from Esther 4.14 is simply this. God is seeking for those. He's seeking for those that would follow him and answer by faith and say, here am I, send me. But you have a decision. You know what? God gave each one of you a free will. He gave you a free will to make a decision whether you're going to follow God or not. And if you look here in this passage, you see what Mordecai says, what God has Mordecai say to Esther. Notice what he says. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace, At this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Can I tell you, you are not going to hinder God's plan. You're not going to hinder God's plan. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not, listen, God is giving you an opportunity to be part of what God is doing. And the only person that's going to be hurt if you say no is not God but you. Listen to what he says to Esther right there. 
He says right there, then shall a deliverance and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Mordecai, under the inspiration of God, said, and this is what God is saying, listen, I am giving you an opportunity to be part of what I am doing. And you are going to be blessed if you will simply say, here am I, send me. But if you reject the call of God on your life and what God wants you to do in your life, you're the one that's going to pay the consequences. Because you're here for such a time as this. Can I tell you, you're in this church for such a time as this. You're not here by accident. God has placed you here for such a time as this. He's placed you in this world today. Yes, I know this world is getting dark. Yes, I know that Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is unpopular today. And it's going to get, I hate to tell you this, it's probably going to get worse. But you know what? God has placed you here for such a time as this. The question is, will you raise your hand in faith and say, here am I, God. Take me and use me any way you want me to be used. Listen, God, it doesn't mean you're going to become a missionary. It doesn't mean you're going to become a pastor. God has a purpose for each one of you, and he desires you to follow him. But you know what it's going to take? It's going to take you to say, here am I, Lord, and then it's going to take you to take one step in faith, trusting God, trusting God. I want you to turn to one last place. Turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 14. When I first went to the mission field, we went trusting God to the country of Kyrgyzstan. Can I tell you that there is nothing special about Daniel Norton? There's nothing special. There's some of you that have better abilities and better skills than I have by far. There's nothing special. I'm just like you. And I have the same failings and I have the same shortcomings as many of you have. You know what? God is willing to use anybody that's willing to be used. Jonathan was a man just like us. He's a great man. And if you've ever taken time to study Jonathan's life, it's, he's an incredible man of God. But in, in, before David ever slew Goliath, there was a Jonathan who fought a great battle and won a great victory. And I want you to look at just one simple verse. When we were getting ready to go to Kyrgyzstan, this is the verse that God laid on my heart. If you look at our prayer card, you'll see it there. It says in verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Can I tell you, God will use anybody that's willing to go. God is willing to use you if you'll just say yes. You know, if you read back down through there, you'll see that Jonathan asked God for the impossible. He asked God to do something that Jonathan was unable to do. But you know, Jonathan had to take a step of faith. He had to step out there and trust God. You know, I want to share one last thing, and I'll be quiet. When I was a young man, 
17 years old. Is there anybody in here 17 years old? I got one 17-year-old. When I was 17 years old, I worked on my uncle's farm every summer from when I was about five years old. Obviously, at five, I didn't do much work, but, you know, I was there in that farm, and that's what I did. I didn't go to summer camp. I didn't do all those things. I worked on a dairy farm, and it was a great experience, and I've never regretted it. But that last year, it was in between my senior and junior year. That last year, I went to my uncle's, and I was working for him full time at that point. And, you know, if there's anything that young men love at the farm is what? Tractors, right? Tractors. Even if you're not a farmer, you probably like tractors, okay? And my uncle had a brand new John Deere 85 horse tractor. It was a four-wheel drive. It was nice. I mean, it, it could shift on the fly. I was used to those old cranky. I mean, my uncle had all these old tractors. You know, you had to stop them and grind them into gear, and you couldn't hardly get it. And that, that was what I was driving for the whole first part of the summer because I was the bottom man on the totem pole. So, you know, my, my tractor I drove, it didn't have an exhaust, and it didn't have all, I mean, it was this broken, it was an old Leyland, and it was hooked to a manure spreader. So I spread manure all the first part of the summer, okay? Well, it came about midsummer, and my uncle one day at lunch, as we got finished up with lunch and we we're heading back out to continue working, he told me, Daniel, go out and get that John Deere tractor, hook it up to the mower, and go mow that 10-acre field behind the heifer barn. And, you know, you can imagine, I was excited. My first time I was going to drive my uncle's tractor. And you may be wondering, what in the world is he talking about? But I want to share with you something. I, so I headed out, and I jumped on that tractor, and I got it. You know, I turned it on. It was like, vroom. You know, I mean, it, it, it was nice. I guess you have to be a farm kid to really appreciate this. But, you know, it was, I enjoyed it. You know, so I got, I drove it up, and I wanted my uncle to be pleased with me. You know what? We should want God to be pleased with us. And I wanted, I wanted him to know that I was going to do my very best. And I, I pulled it up to this old diesel tank he had, and I, I jumped up on the front wheel, got the gas cap off, and stuck the hose in there. And it was one of those old crank pumps, you know, so it went... Some of you older people know what I'm talking about, okay? And I pumped that thing full of diesel fuel. Because I wanted him to know I was going to take care of things. I was going to fuel it. Because that was one of his big pet peeves. He hated it because nobody would ever fill the tractors. And he'd get on them and they'd be half empty or whatever. So I, got, I, got, I put the hose away and everything. I got on the tractor, turned it on, hooked it up to the mower. And I went out and cut 10 acres of hay. It was alfalfa, clover, and, and timothy. It stood about that high. It was second cutting. It was beautiful hay. And it makes these big, big rows. If you've seen them out in the field, these big wind rows. And I mowed that whole field. It took me a couple hours to mow that 10-acre field of hay. And I got done, and I, I, pulled, I pulled back up. I said, you know, as I came back in, I'm like, I'm going to go right back to the pump. I'm going to fill it right back up to the top and so I can please my uncle. And uh, I came in, and I, I pulled up to the tank, and I jumped down. And I grabbed the hose, jumped up on the front wheel, and I went to stick the hose in the front. And guess what? The gas cap was gone. That big old red John Deere gas cap. It was gone. Because see, I'd forgotten to put it on. I forgot to turn it back on when after I got done. I'd left it up there on the hood. And I went back around to where the heifer barn was. I went around the corner there. And I looked around the corner and I'm looking at 10 acres of mowed hay. And I'm saying there is no way that I'm going to find that gas cap out in there in 10 acres of mowed hay. 
And I looked back down the, down the barn, and my uncle, I could hear the compressor going. He was milking the cows. And, you know, my uncle was one of those. He wasn't a shouter. He wasn't a screamer. He didn't get mad. As a matter of fact, I don't think I ever saw him mad once in my entire life. But he was a man that he, he, you just wanted to please. He was someone that was very special. He just, he just passed away last year. He was someone very special to me. It meant a lot to me. And I didn't want to dis- disappoint him. And I didn't want to go tell him I'd lost that gas cap. So I went back and I looked around that field and I was like, there's no way. There's no way I can find that gas cap. I looked back down Barna. I said, I don't want to go tell my uncle. And so sitting there as a 17-year-old boy, I came to a point where I had to make a decision whether I was going to go tell my uncle or go out and look for that gas cap. Well, you know, honest truth is, I was a Christian. I knew that God was able to do the impossible. I knew that God was able to help. But you know what? There's a big difference between knowing that and experiencing that and knowing what God can do. And, you know, I tell my children, I tell children everywhere, and I tell young people and young airmen, there's got to be a time when the God of your fathers becomes your God. When you start to learn to trust and have faith and be able to trust God. And that day was that first step for me because as I looked across that field, can I tell you, this man had no faith that God could do anything. And you may be there tonight. You're like, God can't use me. God can't do anything with me. But as a young boy, as I stood there looking across that, then he wants you to just trust him and take one step at a time. You know, in my life, it was what I've already explained to you. When I went to Kyrgyzstan, it was meeting my wife who had brain cancer who God took care of, and they were able to operate, and it wasn't what they thought it was. And a great miracle, my wife is here. They said she had seven years to live. We've been married 21 years. You know, there was other things. We went to Kyrgyzstan, and we were there for four years working in an orphanage. And seeing God take us through, we were attacked by terrorists on Christmas Eve 2010. Five terrorists broke into our home. I never thought I would live to see the morning, but God took care of us. But what I'm telling you this, I'm not trying to share that with you so you can feel, oh, wow, look at him. No, I'm trying to tell you if you'll take a step of faith, if you'll say, here am I, and just say, God, take me and use me, then God will take you one step at a time. He'll help you. He'll prepare you for what he has in your future. And as we go to Aviano, you know what? I'm taking one more step of faith, believing that God can do the impossible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.